Did you know that cow faces are different enough for facial recognition? And just how did they eradicate that Asian giant hornet's nest in Washington State? Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at issues across the country as reported by our editors. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. This time out, we catch up with PJ Greekspor, editor of Kansas Farmer, who shares the story of some new technology for tracking cattle. Using just your smartphone and access to the cloud, researchers have developed a facial recognition tool for cattle. Yep, you heard that right, and she shares some details of how it works. Then PJ and I switch gears and discuss some big news from out west, the find and eradication of the first Asian giant hornet's nest in the United States. I thought it was fascinating and hope you do too. First up, let's talk facial identification and cattle. PJ, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Good to talk to you again. We got a couple of interesting topics today. I think we're going to have some fun with, and I think I'd, uh, I guess I'd like to start with your your story. You did a story recently on something I didn't even know was possible: facial recognition in cattle. Can we talk about that and how it might be put to use? Sure. The um, technology has been developed by a team of of scientists, of course, but the lead researchers at K State, Casey Olson, and they came up with um, the ability for artificial intelligence to learn the facial recognition of biometrics of a face of a cow. And if you take, they started out taking video of several uh, steers just as they ran ran them through a shoot, and then they upload this video, and then the um, AI teaches itself how to recognize the face of each cow that it saw. The, the test run they had, they had like 94, 95% accuracy. Now, to me, if I look at Angus steers in a feed bunk, they all look exactly alike, especially if they're on Greg Gardner's farm. Right. They, look just, they, they just look identical. But apparently there is enough difference in the biometrics of the face of a cow or a steer to make it recognizable to this neural network. The idea behind this is that you can have instant tracing uh, if you have an outbreak of animal disease without having to put in premises ID or in any way uh, locate the name of the ranch or the name of the rancher or whatever. The only data that it records is the GPS coordinates where the photo was taken and the date that it was taken. Then if if you move that animal from, say, background lot to uh, grass, you take another picture as you unload them on the grass, and then it knows exactly where that animal has been. Then if that animal turns up sick, you just put its face in the network, and they know every they know it instantly comes up every place that it was that it's been. Hmm. It's interesting. Let's back up a minute. I guess let's talk a little bit about one thing in machine learning or artificial intelligence. There are algorithms now. This is complex math formulas that essentially, if you show it a lot of pictures over time, it can discern uh, differentiating uh, items in those pictures. You know, one of these things is not like the other. You're right. If I look at a lot of cows or steers, I probably don't see the differences right away, but I'm pretty sure any rancher listening to this podcast goes, what are you talking about? They all look different. So I think, you know, ears, uh, ear positions, space of eyes, the way the nose is, maybe the shape of the nose bones. There are differences, but you're right. They're minute. Um, You said 95% accuracy, and this is an early trial, right? Mm Mm-hmm. 
This is, yeah. And this this technology is, I mean, it's like being rolled out as we speak. It's going to be available by the end of November. Wow. So it's just basically yeah. a good a good camera and it's hooked to the cloud or where where's the software yeah. reside? Yeah, in the cloud. And okay. the, the, all you need is an app, basically an iPhone and an app or a good Android and an app. Uh, you need a camera on your phone and, and the app will either be free or extremely low cost. And so basically you have no investment. You don't need any, you don't need any ear tags. You don't need to worry about the ear tags getting lost. It's just all technology. This could really change the way a person looks at managing cattle. But basically, I'm holding my phone while I'm loading them in a chute and grabbing the images and processing mm -hmm. it and going on. And so the processing is done in the cloud, which is not an unheard of lately. And it, it probably doesn't take too much. It, time is not a big issue. If they're in the chute and loaded, let the thing process and you can get your report later, right? Right. It's and it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of an amazing idea. Uh, it's, it's the same technology. It, re it reminded me of the same technology that they have rolled out that I saw a couple of years ago at a, a Kansas Ag Technology Conference where they created uh, a sprayer that can tell a desirable plant from a weed and only spray the weeds. Well, yeah, that's the seed and spray tech technology that was developed by Blue River out of California. Deer owns yep. that now, and yep, they're working on that. Yeah, it's a similar idea. Yeah, but uh, palm amaranth looks a lot different than soybeans or yes. cotton. So that's a, yeah. a, although the interesting thing is I saw the sea and spray de uh, demoed at Sunbelt Ag Expo a few years ago in Moultrie, Georgia. And I finally got a chance to watch this thing operate. And it what they do in trials is they operate it with a colored water. And it's basically an inkjet printer. And basically that's what the sprayer works like. 20 nozzles, bing, bing, bing. And they sprayed a spot on the ground. And I'm like, I'm looking at this spot going, holy cow, why did it spray here? And when you look very closely, there is a weed, a very small weed. So, yeah, it's possible on the go to get pretty good information. The difference with that machine and that technology is it's actually doing all the processing on the sprayer. Mm -hmm. With this cloud cattle identification tool, the math and the uh, science is being done in the cloud, which is kind of an interesting idea. And again, like I said, you don't need immediate information, so it can take a while to process. And mm -hmm. you go back to the farm and you go, look, it's all in here. I can track these cows. So that's cool. Yeah, that's, it's pretty amazing. It's, it's good It's good stuff. It's it's been There's been resistance in the industry for um, concerns about privacy and data privacy issues. And with this, you really don't have any personal data in there. Just the cow's got, face. The cow's face, GPS coordinates, and a date. Why is this free? Because it was done by public universities, I guess. I don't know. Most public universities have an innovation center, and I'm just yeah, surprised. They, yeah, they, I don't. Uh, the industry may have put some money into it uh, because okay. the industry requested the research done. So okay. it that may be how the universities got paid, but I think they were concerned that that the about ad, um, adoption, the okay. getting people to do this, especially do it in a time when they're. You know, there might be an you're in a down cycle of the industry, mm -hmm. uh, and then getting people to invest money in it. That's been a re there's been resistance with the uh, tags and the tag readers for that reason. It was it was expensive to implement, and so you have something that really doesn't cost you anything and offers you a service. So great, and I guess I would I would uh, I would do the editor thing now and challenge you to find a rancher that's using this in Kansas next spring and see how it works and see what I, they think about it. So that'll be I kind of fun to follow up with. 
I have two of them. <laughs> I figured you did. And we'll wait to follow up with that after they played with it. I think it would be fun after they've kind of worked with it for a while, what they think um, in terms of how that works. Because, you know, a lot of those folks that do this are not are not owner, they're owner operators, but they don't do that work. In other mm-hmm. words, they're not the one moving cattle, separating calves from mamas for preconditioning. Someone else is. So someone else has to hold that phone. Someone else has to do that. So I think in terms of how you manage a system like this, um, that would be part of my question in terms of will the farm hands be interested in doing this on a, a consistent basis? Because the other side of this, I would assume if you're going to talk about tracking and traceability, consistency matters. Oh, yes. And you have to make sure that you actually do when you move that animal, get the new picture in there or otherwise you in your traceability chain. Yeah. So that I think that would be interesting to talk about the day-to-day management of this tool. But the first thing is this tool does exist. Is there a website I can go to learn more about it? It's actually not up. The details are not up yet on the K-State website, but they will be pretty quick. I think by the end of November, they said by Thanksgiving, they should have, you should be able to go on the web and and actually see see them doing cattle and stuff. They were, they're working on getting that up right now. Well, what we'll do is we'll put a link to your story in with this podcast description. So if anybody wants to go read it, they'll know what it is. And then as soon as you have an active link, we'll go back into your story and add it so people can find it when it's ready. Oh, that'll be good. We can do that. Just keep me posted. So we, uh, I am very interested in that. Um, I am turning the tables and letting you talk to me today as the interviewee because I have been working on a project because of my role at Western Farmer Stockman. And of course, Washington State has been the epicenter of some very interesting, scary news and uh, actually good news in the last week and a half. Uh, and it's on uh, Asian giant hornets. Do you want to hear about that? Oh, absolutely. I do. Okay. Those, those things are those things are scary. Uh, but my understanding is that they're really scary to the honeybee world. Yeah, that's what keeps everybody focused on this problem. So in December of 2019, the first Asian giant hornet was found in Washington State, Western Washington State. Uh, They believe it may have come in on a container from another country, Japan or China. We don't want to blame China. Everybody blames China. But it turns out some of these pests do exist in Asia and they do cross the ocean in containers. Somehow this one did. Uh, It was a queen and they think maybe more than one. So they went on full alert last December. Uh, with the idea of starting to track and trace and find these bugs. And, you know, when I first heard about this, the first stories I got were releases about enlisting citizen scientists to put up traps in their trees to capture these. Now, this bug has gotten another name, which many scientists will tell you is inappropriate. They call them murder hornets. If you get one going... One by itself, it can sting you repeatedly and repeatedly enough to kill you. Um, But that's not the first fear. The big fear is the honeybee industry because they tend to do two things during the season when they're going around. They catch a honeybee, they take it back to the hive and dissect it and eat it. Essentially, they do that during the year. But then in the fall, they go out and they take apart a hive. They prey on these as food. They, They eat the bees and the honey both. Yeah, they prey on them as food. And honeybees only, basically. Bees, bees with honey, basically. Honeybees are the big target. I think they probably go for other kinds. I mean, there's my knowledge is growing on this topic like everybody else. But the reason that they wanted to put citizen scientists to work to trap was they needed hornets and they wanted to capture them alive. And there was a reason for that. They figured if they could capture it alive, they could tag it 
and follow it back to a nest because they were pretty sure there were nests. They started finding more hornets in the spring. So they knew there was there was at least one nest somewhere. And note, this is a North American problem because the Asian giant hornet has also turned up in Western Canada. Everybody's eyes are on this issue. So um, in mid-October, about 21st of October, they got they captured, they had tried before to tag the hornets and the tags, they glued them on, they fell off. They, there were issues with getting the tagging. Um, Sven Eric Spickiger, who is the an entomologist, who's kind of the head of this, and Chris Looney, his colleague, have been really taking the lead on this and they've been doing amazing things. Uh, last week, the 21st of October, they caught two. They ended up having three. They tagged them with new tags. They got a different kind of tag they got from USDA. They were used for something out east. So they they gave them to them. USDA just gave them the tags to try their nano tags. So this is a tag with an antenna. They didn't glue it on the bee, the hornet, I mean. They did not glue it on the hornet. Instead, they tied it on with dental floss. There is video on their YouTube channel for Washington State Department of Agriculture where they show how they tie this on. They tie it in this midsection, cut it off, and the bees are kind of anesthetized when they do this, obviously, because otherwise who'd do it? Uh, and then the bees will take off. Well, they lost them. The, the first set of tags they used, not from USDA, another set, when they did finally try this floss approach, they lost it. They, they just lost a signal. The bees, the hornets flew out of way. I keep calling them bees, but they're not. Bee haters, maybe, but they flew away and they got away. Well, last week, the hor- the nano tags that they used had a stronger signal. So Spickiger says that they're he's following this tag. They lost a signal. They lost a signal, and then they reacquired the signal near a subdivision that had cleared a bunch of trees, but there were trees on the edge, and they were standing there, and they had a really strong signal to look around. Now, let me back up a second. Asian giant hornets are known for nesting in the ground. So that's where they started. They're standing in this wooded area, and they hear one fly over. Now, that's scary. (laughs) And then they hear another one fly over. And it was at that point they looked up, I believe, basically the story that they told. They looked up, and the hive was in a tree in the hollow of a tree they were standing right beside so they identified the tree they identified the nest and they found last week the first asian giant hornet nest in the united states that's what they discovered and then they proceeded last saturday to get rid of it the idea was was fascinating to me because i was on a press conference last friday before they went out to do this and there's a tree there's a hollow they got hornets in there they were using infrared to read the heat signature they knew they had about 200 hornets in this tree okay that's not good grief these hornets nests can be as high as two to 500 hornets in a single nest and they can go out and start other nests so it's a big deal to get them before they start doing this so the idea was they basically wrap saran wrap around the tree foam the hole so they couldn't get out and i don't know which order i think they foam the hole and then wrap the tree so they couldn't get out my question during the press conference last friday was pretty interesting i said how do you know that's the only hole in the tree Right. Because if you're going to wrap that, they're going out the top. Right. I think it was a fair question. And uh, Pickerger responded that Chris Looney, his colleague on that Friday when we were in the press conference, was sitting in the rain by the tree just to make sure there were no other entrances to the tree. So they do. They really spent a lot of time researching this. They brought in special heavy neoprene suits with face masks, air. They look like they look like space suits. Um, They went in, they foamed this hole, they wrapped the tree, and then what they did was they stuck a vacuum in it because they were working on the hornet's behavior, right? Mm -hmm. You want the hornet to come flying mad out of that hole, but it's going to fly right into a vacuum container and capture it, right? Sounded like a good idea. They did. Some flew out, but not many did. So then somebody was on the scaffolding with them. They turned around and they banged on the tree with a a piece of wood. It It was enough. They came flying out and they got them all. 
So they capture the hornets in a container on dry ice so that scientists can have good specimens to use. They want to genome test these, you know, do the genomic analysis. Where did they come from? Are they related? Are the ones they found earlier from the same grouping? So there are questions that are still being answered, but it was fascinating to hear about the process. So did they keep all 200 of them? Yeah, pretty much. And not all will be probably kept alive. Obviously, they'll be dissected for their work, for the genomic work, but some will be kept alive for behavior analysis. They need to understand these queens. We don't know enough about them. Yes, they've been in Asia and they've actually, I think, been in Europe. There's a lot of science, but they want to know more. And I, I haven't, I'm working on getting on an interview with uh, Spickiger to talk about becoming an Asian giant hornet expert. How does that, be, how does that happen? <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. That, that's, uh, there are specialties in those kinds of study fields that, I mean, you wouldn't even really think about having a specialty of studying this until you realize, well, if it's a threat, it needs, we need to know everything we can know about it. Kind of like talking to uh, Jurgen Richt about mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I know you've had good work with him because of the work he did on uh, whether or not mosquitoes could transmit COVID. Thank heaven they can't. So that was great work that he did. The fascination of your own science. I think that that's what makes this industry great, right? It, it's an ag story and not an ag story, but it, it, it's it's huge because the Asian giant hornet is not just a pest for honeybees. It is a major pest for honeybees and danger, but it's also got a human component. You have to be careful. If you see one of these, you need to slowly walk away and get away. They're two inches long and they're dangerous. It was it was interesting. They moved really fast and they got this nest taken care of. And then they're watching, obviously, for more. They're still trapping. They're still watching that area in Whatcom County, Washington, to see if there's more. We do know this isn't over, that this is a, they're on alert in that part of the country and they need to be. Well, PJ, it's been fun talking to you. Um, uh, thanks for listening to my story about Asian giant hornets and fascinating <laughs> work on cattle facial identification. I am looking forward to your follow-up with a couple of the ranchers that would be using this. Okay, super. That'll be great. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. You bet. Bye. Interesting conversation, if I do say so myself. Thanks, PJ, for your insight on that new cattle tracking tool, which I remind everyone listening is free and will be available in November. And I enjoyed sharing what I learned about the Asian giant hornet's nest eradication. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional magazines as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer and Feedstuffs, and the new Farm Progress Virtual Experience. By the way, if you didn't tune in to the premiere of the Farm Progress Virtual Experience, you can still visit the site to see everything that's there. Just visit huskerharvestdays.com for a direct connection to the virtual event. And while it's rich with field demonstration content, I would also recommend checking out the trade show experience where you can search hundreds of exhibitors by name or by specific product category. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.